everyone, no matter what you've walked through in your life, has a story to tell and that we can learn from each other. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hey there, listener. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Small Minded Podcast. Today, we sit down with a very special guest. Lindley Cabin. Lindley and I go back a few years. We've only met in person once, but if you are a Molly Knuth Media follower for three-ish years, you might remember a t-shirt sale that we had. I think it was at the beginning of 2020, and it was a small town tea. It was like charcoal gray. It had a whole bunch of words and phrases on it that were small town friendly, and it said like dirt road, summer drives, dive bars. If you're familiar with that shirt, that was Lindley's work. Lindley makes beautiful, thoughtful, high-quality apparel and paper goods. And on top of just being an amazing person who is so sweet, so open, so generous, talented with the work that she does with her small business, Storied Folk & Co., but she also has an amazing story herself. She and her husband not only are rooted in small town and have some agricultural background that I know a lot of you listeners have, but she and her husband have a unique story in their journey to become parents. So you might want to have some Kleenexes ready as you listen to this episode because Lindley's going to take us through their journey of trying to conceive IVF and ultimately what it took to bring home their baby boy, Holden. I, this is like one of the first episodes that I've like literally ugly cried on an interview. Um, so prepare yourselves because while it is like touching, it is also so beautiful and inspirational. And I'm so thankful that Lindley was here today to share that with us. So without further ado, let's get into the interview today with Lindley Cavan of Storied Folk & Co. Welcome to the podcast, Lindley. I am so, so happy to have you here today. Thanks so much, Molly. I am super honored to be here. Um, Lindley and I have met in person, I think once at a farmer's market in Cascade, but we've been in contact a few times. Like we worked together on some merch and a fundraiser for UIHC Children's Hospitals. And I'm just like, I'm always so impressed by what you do. And today we are going to talk a little bit about not just business, but also about your personal story. So why don't I let you take it from here and just give us a little introduction to Lindley and what you do? Yeah, well, my name is Lindley Cavan and I am the owner of Storied Folk and Company. It is a small business here in rural Northeast Iowa that is focused on graphic apparel for women and children, uh, drinkware, and modern paper goods. 
And I uh, sell on my own website and I also wholesale to retailers all over the country. I currently have about 175 different small shops across the country that are carrying my goods. And then, um, like you said, we met in person. So I do from time to time, I used to do a lot more, um, but we can get into this. I had a baby. So I've kind of scaled back on the in-person markets and focus more on the e-commerce side of my business. But um, yeah, I also do some in-person markets from time to time too. Okay. I had no idea that you were in that many retail locations. I knew you wholesaled, but I did not know to that extent. Oh my gosh, Lindley, that's amazing. Well, thanks. Thanks. It's actually, you know, uh, in terms of the pandemic, it was um, really amazing for the wholesale side of my business. I saw a lot of growth and a lot of that was thanks to a platform called FAIR. If you're in the, the business world, you might've heard of it, but it is a platform that brings wholesale brands together with retailers and Um, I attribute a lot of my growth to being on that platform and um, being able to connect with retailers um, outside of the Midwest as well. So yeah, it's, it's been really, it's been really fun to watch that side of the business take off over the last couple of years. Oh yeah. And we can get into the details of that in a little bit, but I just wanted to say like, that's incredible. So, so cool. Thank you. Um, So let's start at the beginning. You said you live in like a rural area, Northeast Iowa. Tell me about growing up small town. How did growing up with that environment, lifestyle affect your life today? Yeah. So I grew up in a very small town uh, near Decorah. I usually tell people that I'm from the Decorah area because it's, it's easy. People have heard of it. Uh, I grew up outside of a town called Protovin, uh, which is about, it's under 300 people today. And I grew up on a row crop and hog farm, and my family also owns a retail agronomy center. Um, And I went to college at Iowa State University. After that, I moved to Des Moines for a few years and worked at an advertising agency. It was a startup, and it was an amazing first job. I was kind of a catch-all employee, if you will. Um, I was her first ever employee and it allowed the opportunity to really kind of get my hands into all facets of the business. And then as we grew, my position with the company grew. I met my husband, now husband at the time, not husband, um, (laughs) in Des Moines. And then he took a job in Eastern Iowa. We did the long distance thing for a while and um, kind of came to a crossroads of like, okay, what are we doing here? Someone needs to make a sacrifice if we want to make this work in the long term. And so I chose to follow him over to Eastern Iowa. And we lived in Williamsburg outside of Iowa City for about five years. And then more recently in January of 2019, we decided to move back to my uh, hometown where we are living today out in the country, just a few miles outside of that town. And my husband actually works for our family business as an agronomy salesman. So it's been uh, a wonderful move back to the area. And it's, you know, small town life has had a profound impact, I think, on me as a person. Um, This community is super, super special. 
I love seeing us come together and, uh, you know, raise money for different causes and seeing how uh, neighbors help neighbors. It's uh, really, really had a big impact on, I think, how I run my own business and who I am as an adult. So I love hearing so many of what you brought up. It does kind of echo some of the other guests that we've had on here in the past about that. Like I grew up small town. I moved to the big city. I got so many great experiences and then it kind of comes full circle and ends up maybe not everybody moves back to their hometown, but to a similar environment. And it's like every piece of your story, every part of your journey has something that stayed with you and then influences the person who you are today. And I love hearing about you, like starting out in the small town atmosphere, going to Des Moines, getting that work experience and seeing all of those different ways that the person you worked with, like how she ran her business and how that then comes back into the business that you run. I think that is such such an interesting thing to look back on when we think, oh man, I'm not there yet, wherever there is. But if we look back at the journey, we can see, oh yeah, this is what I learned from this experience. This is what I learned from this experience. And that's how I am today. That's the person I am today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was always that kid in high school that said, I am getting as far as possible away from this tiny town. So I never, at that time in my life, I never really envisioned moving back here. But as I matured and grew into adulthood, um, and when, especially when we wanted to start a family, I realized how important it was to have my people around me. And we kind of felt like we were off on an island uh, when we lived in Williamsburg. We weren't near either of our families. So that's when that conversation kind of started to happen. And then honestly, with technology, it afforded me the opportunity to be able to run a business from rural America. And, you know, I know that that's something I'm super fortunate to be able to do and it wouldn't have been possible, you know, a couple decades ago. So it's, uh, it's been really, really awesome to see how that is kind of transpired into my adulthood. That's so great. So at what point was it that you decided to launch into small business ownership? Because for those who may be listening and they might be familiar with Storied Folk and Co., or they might be familiar with your name as Matted Inc. So at what point did you decide to take that leap into entrepreneurship yourself? Yeah, so I uh, my business was formerly called Matted Inc., and um, maybe we'll get into that rebranding story a little bit later, but I launched on Etsy in 2014. I had always done some graphic design work at the advertising agency I worked at in Des Moines. And then when I moved to a different advertising agency in Eastern Iowa, I wasn't in that capacity anymore, but I still did a lot of freelance work on the side. And then I just had been encouraged by a lot of friends and family and friends of friends to launch an Etsy shop after I did a lot of invitation work for like weddings, bridal showers, baby showers, all that kind of thing. And so I took the leap and put my uh, work on Etsy in 2014. And then it slowly grew as a side hustle for me while I was still working full-time at an advertising agency. And 
in um, the end of 2016, the business had really grown to a point where I was at a crossroads. I was really, truly working two full-time jobs between my quote unquote side hustle and my full-time job. And, um, you know, after a lot of conversation with my husband, I decided that it was time to take the leap and really try this on my own. And so in 2000, January of 2017, I left my full-time job and took the business full-time and I have been operating as a full-time small business owner since then for, you know, over the last five years. So it's been, it's been a wild ride. Oh, that's so, I love hearing people's origin stories, if you will, because everybody has a different route of becoming an entrepreneur or a small business owner. And when you made that shift, when you realized, okay, this isn't a side hustle anymore. And you and your husband were having that conversation about going into business for yourself full-time. What were some of those things that you had to maybe mentally like get yourself in place to say, okay, I'm going to step away from this corporate position and I'm going to go into small business ownership. Or were there some other steps that you took as well to like prepare yourself for that change? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people you'll hear say that, you know, just make the leap and jump right in and, you know, chase your dreams and all of that is great and fair. But for me, I also had to be realistic about it. And I wanted to make sure the finances were there. I was at a point at this agency that I was making really a really good salary. And that was scary to leave. Uh, benefits and the, um, I guess, the comfort of uh, corporate America. So that's why I say I really built it slowly over those first few years on the side. And that was a big piece of it. Like I felt financially I was stable enough, um, even though it wasn't maybe at the time quite at the level of what my salary was at the advertising agency, I felt strongly that I could get it there. And it was at a place where I felt comfortable that, um, you know, we could still pay bills with Mm -hmm. what I was making from the business at that time. So that was a big piece of the conversation was making sure that it was a smart decision and not just me, you know, chasing a goal blindly. And also I think, um, my, my husband works a lot, a lot of hours in, you know, in agriculture when it's, planting season and harvest season, he is gone a lot, (laughs) a lot, seven days a week and very, very long hours in the day. And as we um, were trying to start a family, that was another conversation of, okay, how do we have one parent that has more flexibility in the schedule to be able to care for children? So that was another big piece of the conversation and why we felt like it was the right time for me to make that, that leap. Thank you for sharing that because I do know that there are people out there listening who maybe they haven't taken that leap yet. And I do always caution people that like everybody's story is different for starting a business. When I started, you know, I was a stay at home mom, so I didn't have to make that choice like you did to leave something like steady and pursue this thing that was maybe a little bit less steady. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and then that our stories are different than someone else too. So I hope that listeners hear a bit of like your wisdom. I feel that you brought to it, like making sure that you had some safety 
net established before you took that full-time leap. I'm similar to you. Like I have more of a cautious approach too. I like to have things kind of figured out, but thank you for sharing that. So over the years, it grew from an Etsy shop into getting into retail stores, getting your own website. And can you walk us through that journey and tell us a little bit of like the successes you experienced along with maybe some of the struggles that came from that time frame too? Yeah. So I um, decided in, it was about the end of 2018 that I decided it was really time to take the business off of Etsy at the time. In my mind, that was the right decision. Um, I really wanted to focus on growing an email list, not something that you can do within Etsy and really just growing my own brand. Um, You know, you hear a lot of people when they buy on Etsy, it's like, oh, I got this on Etsy. They don't say I got this from this small business. And I really was ready to start growing my own, you know, my own brand on its own two legs. And so I built a Shopify site and launched that in early 2019. And I do feel like that is where I saw a huge, huge change in my business. I also felt like I was starting to look at it with more of a uh, CEO mindset, you could say, versus um, just constantly in the weeds. And I'm still, I'm still very much in, the, in, <laughs> in my business, but I think I started to grow my mindset around it. And I would say, you know, along the way, I have definitely, I'm still like experiencing a lot of growing pains. I um, find myself being the bottleneck of a lot of a lot of different pieces of the business, and that's something I'm still uh, working through today. And it's kind of that that fine line of knowing uh, when to hire or when to. Um, I have a couple like virtual um, people on my team right now that have been great assets, and then the fact that this business is still operating out of my basement. So that, that's another, another piece of things that brings a whole different set of, I guess, restrictions uh, within the business operating out of your home and trying to bring on team members and not you know exactly sure how that, how that looks when the business is still in my home. But I hope to, I hope to change that someday soon. Yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question great there. Oh, no, that was great. I love what you said about like making that change and how it's so much like a mindset decision. And it it had to have been such a mindset shift to say, okay, I want to create this brand. Like you said, I want to get it out there on its own two legs. And I never really associated that, but I am one of those people who's like, yeah, I got this on Etsy. And I, I'm glad you brought awareness to that. And I think that what you've been able to do since making that change too is like not just establish a brand, but as we're going to get into in just a second, like you're a brand that stands for something and you've been able to really like share your mission. And I feel like when you make that shift in mentality to saying like, okay, this is a thing I do, but I'm ready to make this be a thing that's known for something, not just what I do. Like that's a big change. And I'm so glad that you brought that up today because that's a powerful, powerful takeaway. I agree that that is a huge shift in mindset. 
I also think that in the like early years of the business, I took on the mentality of saying yes to everything. Uh, I did a lot of custom orders and I'm, I'm guilty of being a people pleaser at my core. So it's also hard for me today to still say no to things. But I do think that as I've matured as a business owner, that has gotten easier for me to do. But, you know, in the beginning, I also think that it was in a way important for me to say yes to everything because it really taught me what I want this business to be. And it um, since then has evolved into more of a brand and not just a business selling goods. And I do think that that shift of getting myself my own standalone website was a huge piece of that as well. But yeah, I've learned a lot of, a lot of lessons along the way for sure. Okay. So along the path of this professional journey, you and your husband also had a personal journey going on, as you've mentioned a couple of times about like making the decision that it was time to grow your family. And what I really love about you, Lindley, is that you're so open and sharing and your journey to parenthood was not an easy one. So do you want to walk us through a little bit of that and tell us about your journey to parenthood? Yeah, I would love to. So my husband and I got married in the fall of 2015. And uh, when we decided it was time to start having children, We tried for about a year on our own and with no success, we decided that it was time to go seek medical help. At the time, we were still living in Williamsburg. And so we had really easy access to the University of Iowa, which was amazing. So we decided to start there. And we were with the reproductive endocrinology group there. And, um, you know, they kind of, put us through their typical course of treatment for someone that has been diagnosed with infertility, which is uh, been trying to conceive for over 12 months with no success. If you're under 35, if you're over 35, those time constraints change. But so we started with medicated cycles, uh, which meant uh, drugs like Clomid and Letrozole, And they are really just supposed to, um, they call them like super ovulation drugs. And they um, are just supposed to really help in the process of conceiving. We had no success there. So from there, we moved on to trying IUIs. We did three failed IUI cycles. And at that point, we were told by the reproductive endocrinology doctor that we were with at the University of Iowa, um, it was time to move on probably to IVF. He said, you know, we could keep down this path, but your odds of success are really pretty minimal. And I think it's time to look further. This is at the same time we were looking at moving back to Northeast Iowa and I, while I think the University of Iowa is an amazing uh, institution, there's also, um, I don't think every reproductive endocrinology doctor is right for everybody. And um, I very much felt like just a number there. 
you were really with a group of doctors. Um, we got a lot of conflicting information from those doctors and I was ready to try something else. And like I said, we were also moving back to Northeast Iowa at the time. So we decided to transfer to a fertility clinic up in Minneapolis off of the recommendation from a friend here who was also at the University of Iowa and decided to move on without success from there to this clinic in Minneapolis and had success up there. So we kind of followed in that couple's footsteps and moved on to IVF at that time. And we then did an IVF cycle and it failed. That was probably the biggest turning point for me in um, our journey. Up until then, I admittedly was maybe a little naive in thinking that, you know, IVF, it's IVF, it's going to work. You know, it works. Mm -hmm. This is, it has to work. You know, this is the last step. And this is, um, you know, the most powerful course of treatment you can take uh, in infertility. And I just assumed it would work. And when it didn't, that was uh, really, really earth shattering for me. Then um, we decided to do a second round of IVF with the same doctor in Minneapolis. Um, He said that it was uh, time to change up our protocol and try some different things and hoping we would have greater success then. And when that cycle also failed, um, he started to bring up the conversation of looking at donor eggs. These IVF cycles failed because of my extremely low quality eggs. So, you know, when you are going through an IVF cycle, you do what's called an egg retrieval. And then they fertilize those eggs after they're retrieved from the woman's body to create embryos in a lab. And we never, the first two IVF cycles are, you know, my eggs would be fertilized and they would die within usually a day. We had one embryo that made it to day three and stopped growing. So we never made it to what they call an embryo transfer, where they then implant an embryo in your uterus to hopefully get you pregnant and grow a baby. And that uh, doctor also acknowledged that it was probably time for me to also get a second opinion. Um, He knew I was only third. I had just turned 30, like probably two months before this happened. So he knew um, just with my age, that was probably going to be, you know, really life altering uh, decision to be made to consider using donor eggs um, and not something that we should take lightly. And he really encouraged us to seek a second opinion. So from there, we moved on to our third reproductive endocrinologist in Chicago. And that is where we are today. Um, We found uh, Dr. Allison Rogers through an old coworker of mine had a friend in Cedar Rapids that actually had a fairly similar story to mine. And she was um, working with Dr. Rogers out in Chicago and had success. So that was how we landed there. And Dr. Rogers really brought a different perspective to um, our situation. And she didn't feel like it was time to give up on using my own eggs. 
you know, every doctor is so different. She didn't necessarily agree with previous treatment protocols and she really wanted to try some out of the box things. And we were, um, you know, willing, willing and on board to try it, but she also, you know, was realistic in knowing that it still might not work for us Mm -hmm. and that we do need to be open to the conversation of donor eggs or um, adoption or another form of family building. And we then did a third and final IVF cycle using my own eggs and it still failed. Um, And so then from there, it was um, a lot, a lot of conversation uh, around what, what do next steps look like for us? We kind of stepped back for a while from all things fertility treatments and really took time to consider using donor eggs. We looked into the adoption path, um, spoke with several adoption agencies and families that had adopted children and what their, you know, process and uh, experience looked like. And we also, you know, had really hard conversations like, what does it look like if we move on with no children? And in the end, after, you know, lots of conversation with each other, with people that had walked down this path before us, with our doctors, um, we decided that looking into using an egg donor was the right next step for us. And uh, another reason we really chose to shift towards the Chicago-based fertility clinic is because they had a very robust in-house donor program. So a lot of fertility clinics around the country, um, especially in the Midwest, they don't actually have any in-house egg donors. You use um, what's called frozen donor banks and you just purchase frozen donor eggs that were donated and then they thaw them and fertilize them and hopefully grow embryos that way. But your odds of success are a little higher uh, with the route we went because we Typically, when you do that, when you purchase frozen eggs, you um, are only allotted a very small amount of eggs. And when you do a fresh uh, egg retrieval with an in-house donor, you have a greater uh, chance of retrieving more eggs and hopefully in turn um, resulting in more embryos and furthering your odds of success to make a baby. Am I getting to you for just a second? No, I did just want to ask though, like, Throughout this whole process, what is like the time frame from you said like uh, was it like 16, 17 was when you guys started trying and then up to this point of deciding, okay, we're gonna go the donor egg route. About how far of a time span are we looking at there? Uh so it was about uh let, let me think about this. It was um we started the donor egg process in January or December, excuse me, of 2019. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. We decided to move forward with the donor egg process in December of 2019. So it had been at this point about three years of fertility treatments. In between and I there. imagine like not only through that process and like IUI and IVF and Clomid and all of that, like the physical implication of that on your body is so intense through the hormones and the ups and downs of that process. 
but I'd imagine like the mental ups and downs had to have been really hard as well. So how did you kind of, how did you keep your hopes up? If that's, I don't know if that's like the right question to even ask, but like, how did you keep going Lindley? Like what was your method of saying, okay, maybe this didn't work, but we're going to try this next. Yeah, I guess maybe I, um, am painting, uh, too light of a picture when I'm just kind of breezing through all of our treatments here. Uh, it was extremely, extremely taxing on me in many ways. Like you said, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, um, and you know, it was all encompassing. And I also think during, you know, the, the thick of those, uh, IVF treatments is I think what people don't understand is that when you go through an IVF cycle, it really is like a full-time job. There are lots and lots of doctor appointments involved, a lot of drugs involved, um, managing those, administering those to yourself, managing your calendar, uh, managing the um, delivery with pharmacies is really cumbersome, unfortunately. And it, uh, you know, takes, takes a toll, especially, um, I guess one potential, you could say downside to living in rural Iowa is my access to medical care is not, it's not easy. I do. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I live about an hour and 15 minutes from the Mayo clinic in Rochester and I can do um, what they call satellite monitoring there versus going to our fertility clinic in Chicago for all of these appointments. But it's still, you know, it's still a haul to just do all of my ultrasounds and blood work and all of that at Mayo as well. It's um, very, very time consuming. And I do think that um, it had a pretty profound impact on my business during that time too. It was hard to keep going and, um, to keep putting on, uh, a brave face for, um, you know, the, the public and during that time. And I was, I sunk into, you know, especially after, um, our third failed IVF cycle, I really sunk into a deep depression. I spent a lot of days, um, just really sitting in my grief (laughs) And it really is something I think when someone comes at a crossroads of choosing to potentially conceive children uh, through donor egg or donor sperm, um, you have to grieve the loss of your genetics. You know, I always envisioned what my babies with my husband would look like using my genetics and his genetics and um, just simple things that people say all the time that you before I went through this, I would have, you know, would have just breezed right over my head. I never would have thought about that, but, you know, just family members saying things like, oh, that kid has great genetics or, you know, they definitely have, my maiden name is Brees and, you know, they definitely have, you know, the Brees eyes or, you know, things like that. And it's funny because people still say those things to (laughs) me today about our son, um, which is a whole nother kind of weird thing to have to navigate through. But yeah, I honestly, I think the, um, if I could have a piece of advice from that time period for anyone that's walking through this is to see a therapist. I actually found a therapist that specializes in reproductive medicine 
and she was based out of Minneapolis, but she uh, did Zoom sessions. So we were able, I still to this day, I've never met her in person, but we were able to connect over Zoom, another amazing result of technology. And she really, really helped me work through um, not only my depression state, she helped me work through my grief and arrive at the decision that we were ready to move forward with using donor eggs. Oh my gosh, Lindley, thank you for being so open and talking about this, because I know there are probably people listening who have experienced things like this. And I feel like it's kind of become a trend like unofficially, but like we've had therapists come on to the podcast and we've had like Robin Boudreaux of no foot too small. And I really, I'm so thankful that we have women in these small towns like yourself and the guests prior who are willing to talk about these things, because I do feel like, and I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but like growing up in a small town, when I grew up, like you just expected, like people get married, they have babies from the outside. You can ask about that and be like, Oh, when are you going to start your family? Not knowing that. Mm -hmm. And like, people just didn't talk about it as much. I don't feel like when they went through loss or infertility struggles. And now I feel like that's one of the things I'm thankful that we have, we're starting to shed the like maybe quote unquote taboo around in this time frame is like, we need to have these conversations. We need to be aware of what we're saying to people in passing that might be hurtful and we don't intend it maybe all the time, but it's hurtful nonetheless. And I'm just very thankful that you're willing to tell us about not only the process, but also the mental and physical implications of that process on yourself and your husband. Yeah. You know, I have come to a place that if I, you know, if my sharing my story can help one person, then I think it's worth it. And, you know, honestly, when I started uh, being more open on social media about our IVF journey or infertility journey, it was really healing for me, like just to do the writing myself, it was healing for me. So at the end of the day, I know that if it, if it's making a difference in my mental health and in my own life, that's, that's really what matters. And, and then bonus, if it can help someone else or educate someone else, um, that's just the icing on the cake. Okay. So now why don't you walk us through the next phase of your journey? You've made the decision to pursue the donor egg route. Why don't you take us from there? Yeah. So we chose to use an anonymous egg donor through our clinic in Chicago. And what that looks like is you are given quite a bit of information on a donor. Uh, It includes things like her family history, her um, medical history, her own gynecological history. Has she had children? Has she had miscarriages? You know, what, what her own medical and personal makeup looks like. And also you learn things like her interests and hobbies and things like that, but um, it's still anonymous. We don't uh, know any identifying factors about her other than that. So that's another, uh, it was a hard thing to navigate um, really thinking about like this woman's eggs, you know, are like my husband and her egg are going to make our baby. So that, um, that was some weird conversations at first and how my husband and I navigated it is we decided to kind of like, he would pick 
some donors that he thought um, were really great. And I would pick some donors and then we would kind of compare notes. And um, we actually had several that we were on common ground with. And at the end of the day, you know, we just decided to put our, our faith and our choice. And the thing that really like sealed the deal for me is uh, one of her favorite quotes was to take the road less traveled. And I actually had a t-shirt in my line that said the same thing. Um, And I just thought that that um, it was just like a sign for me that this, this was the right one for us. We then moved forward with what's called a donor egg IVF cycle. And sometimes it's called DE IVF, um, just initials for that. And what that looks like is she completes the entire front half of that IVF cycle, the egg retrieval, and then the eggs are fertilized and grown in the lab. And then they, um, we did a, what's called a fresh embryo transfer. So we kind of had to sync our cycles. And I was also on quite a few fertility drugs leading up to that time as well. And we did a fresh embryo transfer in July of 2020. And it was the first time we ever made it to that phase of an IVF cycle. And it worked. <laughs> and- oh, that's, cry. that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty, pretty amazing that it worked and I was finally pregnant. Yeah. Now, now we had uh, Holden. We had a baby boy in March of 2021 and um, he just, you know, turned a year. He's almost 14 months now. And it's, it was a wild ride to get to him. But um, I, you know, when I was in the thick of my you know, the trenches of infertility, I don't know that I could have said with the same insight, I can say now that every single step was worth it. So worth it. Lindley, I'm so happy for you and your family. And like, I have your website pulled up over here on the screen and like, he is just the cutest baby. He is like, he just looks like the happiest little guy. And I'm so, so so grateful that you're sharing this story with us today. I know it's going to touch people's lives. Well, thank you. Thank you for allowing me the space to share. And he, um, he is, he's so special, you know, he is so, he's so special. And I know he brings so much joy to, um, my family, to my husband and I, and even, even to our small town, it's been amazing to see, like when I'm up at just the park with him and, um, all the people that have, you know, they know our story and they've surrounded us in so much love and joy throughout every step of the way. And, um, it's been, it's been so fun to share that with them. That was a follow-up question I wanted to ask too. Like, what did that look like going through this process? Like we started the episode talking about like what you learned growing up in a small town and what you were talking about was like the support and the generosity. And then like now going through this journey and with your sharing, like, it's been so fun to share them with the community. Like, I can't help, but like, just draw out that you've made an impact on your community too, by being so open and sharing your story. Like you said, 
through the IVF journey and like sharing your story on social media, you've brought people in and allowed them to receive like not just your family's story, but connect with you too. And then yeah, to see Holden and how adorable he is and be able to like go to the park with him. I'm sure even in the grocery store line, I bet people just come up to you and like, like, Oh baby. And talking like, that's so great. Are there any other moments of like small town support through that process that really stick out in your mind? Yeah. You know, I was pretty um, taken aback when he was born by the number of people that showered us with gifts and meals and just so much support from people that, you know, I knew, but I would have never expected them to like give us a gift or, or make us a meal. So that, that really um, was special. And I had so much gratitude for that. And honestly, the, the piece I think that's had the greatest impact is sharing my story. I've been able to connect with other women in this area that have reached out to me and felt comfortable enough to share their own stories of struggle with me. And um, I know that that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have chosen to be open about everything that we've walked through. And that has been really, really touching on my life to know that I am making a difference by being open with other women that are currently struggling. So that, that has probably been the biggest um, and most rewarding piece of it all. So after, or maybe during this process, you also made a shift in your business. So you made a change recently, and now your business is Storied Folk and Co. And throughout the interview, I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but you kept bringing up the word story and talking about how people's stories really impacted you. And I was like, this is just a full circle moment, but can you tell us about why you made that decision and also highlight the mission of the organization and what you're doing now? Yeah. So as I have, like I I mentioned this earlier, um, I think I've matured a lot as a business owner throughout the last um, eight years of business. And with that, I didn't feel like my name or my branding was really servicing a mission that I wanted it to. I really came to this crossroads of wanting the business to serve a greater purpose than just making money. And um, while that is important and you know it, it helped support my family and it helped support our journey to get to our son because infertility treatments are extremely expensive. But I, knowing that I wanted to be able to use this business to continue to give back and support others going through the same struggle. Uh, So I decided um, about, it was, well, it's something that's been stirring in me for a couple of years now. But I decided to officially make that change. At the end of last summer, I started working on this rebranding and came to a point after um, a lot of ideation and brainstorming and working with a trademark lawyer to rename my business as Storied Folk and Co. And that really came from a place of wanting 
to build a community of people that celebrate stories. And I believe that we should tell our stories, that they should be celebrated, that we should remember them. And um, I think, you know, everyone, everyone, no matter what you've walked through in your life has a story to tell and that we can learn from each other. And then on top of that, I wanted um, to find a way to give back to those who are struggling to afford the high cost of fertility treatments here in the U.S. So I decided that um, I am going to every year partner with a nonprofit organization that does give back to those struggling in the infertility community by donating 3% of my annual gross sales to that organization. Uh, In 2022, I have decided to partner with an organization called the Baby Quest Foundation, and they are based out of Los Angeles, California, but I had known of them for the last couple of years and just really, really like their mission and the fact that they are giving grants directly to people that um, are struggling to afford fertility treatment costs. It's having a direct impact, I guess, on those people. And that's why I really, really like their mission. And I just hope that this business can continue to grow in a way to continue to give back to those that are struggling with something that has touched my life so immensely. Lindley, this is so awesome. Where can people go to see your collections, donate to, well, do you have like a donate link as well? Or is it like it's all goes through your purchases? I do have um, links off to the Baby Quest Foundation on my website. So if someone did want to donate directly to them, they can follow that on the About Us page of storiedfolk.com. But that is where you can find me. Uh, My website is storiedfolk.com. You can find me on social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook, mainly at storiedfolk. And like I said, I, um, I hope that the pieces that you find in my shop inspire you and uh, make you feel good and um, just kind of motivate you to continue to go out into the world and do good. I love that because so many of your pieces have inspirational sayings or they draw attention to like some aspect of joy or choosing joy or seeking happiness. I know that in past collections, you've had some that help drive awareness around mental health or helping people through that. And I think that your work is so important. And now with this added layer of partnering with organizations in the infertility community, it's just, you're doing something magical. And I am so thankful that you came on today. So thank you, Lindley. Thanks for having me, Molly. All right. Now I'm not letting you off the hook quite so easy. Um, We always end our episodes with what is called the small talk round. And this is just off the cuff kind of questions. I didn't send you anything to prep. You just got to give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Are you ready? Here we go. (laughs) All right. Here we go. All right. Question number one. What was Holden's first word? Mama. (laughs) Oh, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I really, um, I really relish in that. Um, and he still, he still walks around like all day, mama, mama. (laughs) but every, every time he says it, it's just, um, 
it's like music to my ears and I, I will cherish, cherish uh, these moments with him forever. That's awesome. Okay. Question number two, what is something on your family's summer bucket list? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, we're going to head to Wisconsin um, around just after the 4th of July for a little friend's getaway up to a cabin there on a lake. Really looking forward to that. And honestly, Holden was so uh, young last summer that I didn't feel like we got to experience a lot of the fun summer things because he was still a newborn and, uh, you know, the sun time and keeping him out of the sun pre uh, sunscreen and all that. Yes. And now we're past that. So I'm just looking forward to getting him, you know, outside and running through the sprinkler and um, hopefully hitting up splash pad in the area and um, yeah, doing all sorts of fun outdoor things with him that we didn't get to do last summer. There's such a difference. I have a child who is a March baby too, and one who is a February baby. And that period of time, especially when it's like your first one, it's like, I can't take them in the sun and I can't use sunscreen. What do I do? (laughs) So yes, yes, you're about to embark on a very fun summer because you guys can live it up now. Yeah. I'm excited. Question number three, what's your go-to morning drink? Oh, okay. Well, this has changed as of very recently. I'm cutting out caffeine again as we, um, I know our time's up, but I am actually am going through a another IVF cycle right now. We are hoping to transfer um, a frozen embryo and hopefully uh, give Holden a sibling. But so because of that, I'm cutting out caffeine prior just, just, just a couple of weeks ago, I would have said coffee um, every day. We make it at home and in the summer I switch it to iced coffee, but now I'm really, um, I'm into Fresca. I don't, I don't know if you are on the Fresca bandwagon or not, but I, as a kid, it's something that my mom used to always buy. And I hadn't had it for probably like 15 years. And I saw an influencer on Instagram make like a, <laughs> like a alcohol free Fresca cocktail. And it just was like, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I hadn't had Fresca in so many years. So I bought some at my um, next grocery store run. And now it's like, staple in my daily it's not necessarily in the morning but it's like my treat in the afternoon to have have a fresca you've like unlocked a childhood memory I didn't even know I had I have like a distinct memory of drinking fresca at our local bowling alley and playing like moonlight cosmic bowling like I didn't even know they still made that but I I didn't even it's so good it's so good calorie free caffeine free um it's it's good good stuff Awesome. Okay. Last question. What is, this might be a hard one. What is your favorite piece in your current collection at Storied Folk and Co? Oh, favorite piece in the current collection. Um, or we can look ahead if you've got like a summer or a fall collection that you want to feature, what's something that you're really excited about? Yeah. Well, I'm actually about to launch uh, a new team ahead of a, um, in-person market that I'm doing here in June. And it's actually just one of, it's something that has, I wrote it down a couple years ago and I've wanted to design something around it and just haven't made it happen. Um, it's something that weighs on my mind a lot, but um, it just says, trust the journey. And I'm really excited. I'm really happy with how the tea design turned out. 
And I hope it really resonates with people. Um, Cause I know, I know when you're going, walking through a really hard season in your life, it's hard. It's hard to let go and just trust that it's gonna, it's gonna work out how it's supposed to. And um, I hope that this tea kind of brings some inspiration that uh, in the end, it's going to be okay. And I hope that along, along the ride, you can find those special moments of joy and beauty and just inspiration too. Lindley, that was perfect way to end the episode. So thank you so, so much. Thank you for being here again for listeners. You can find her at storied folk on Facebook and Instagram or storiedfolk.com to shop all the goods. So Lindley, thank you so, so much. It was such an honor, Molly. Thank you. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the small minded podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.